This is Sheldon Primus, the host of the Safety Consultant Podcast. During this time, we've all been tightening our belts because of COVID-19. I have been as well. Recently, I've found cost-effective alternative to some of the services and programs that I was using, such as email marketing, hosting services, and even one of my favorites, Teachable. Visit SheldonPrimus.com backslash resources for special offers to help you reduce your business overhead. If you're hosting a podcast or want to host a podcast, then visit SheldonPrimus.com backslash hosting for a knockout deal. Don't give up on your dream. Get smarter on the back end of your business. This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I am your host, Sheldon Primus, and this is the episode, or, or excuse me, this is the podcast that I teach you how to do the business of being a safety consultant. So... This is a very special episode. In this episode, I talked to a follow a fellow Safety FM podcaster, and uh, she is Jill James. So some of you may know her as the Chief Safety Officer of Vivid Learning System, uh, HSI company, and um, Vivid Learning System and Jill James together. I guess they are uh, the Accidental Safety Pro. Uh, she is the host of that podcast, and uh, I had a great time with her. Uh, we truly talked about just about everything. It was awesome. I'm going to break this into two episodes. Uh, first episode is going to be focused on OSHA, because if you didn't know, she was ex-investigator uh, for, well, not the only one, but a senior safety investigator for the state of Minnesota for their OSHA plan. And uh, we talked a little bit about if you are going to be a consultant and part of your uh, services are going to be mock OSHA audits and a few other things, then uh, what do you need to do? What do you need to look for? Uh, she talked to me a little bit about her mentoring and uh, what that meant to her, uh, meaning people that mentor her in the business, and then also why she left OSHA. She talked about how she got uh, just pretty much, uh, it was it was time for her to go. She felt it. And that's the first half of our conversation and a few other things thrown in there. Later on, we talked about what she does uh, with her Reiki, and that is uh, uh, healing touches might be the way to think of it, laying off hands. Uh, so we, we talked about that in the second episode, which is going to come out on Thursday of this week. So you're going to have Jill James uh, talking about OSHA and everything else on Monday, this episode now. And then on Thursday, we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk a little bit about the other side of her life and some of the grounding things that she does and that I do as well. And she's going to lead us into a meditation. So I look forward to that one. So without any further ado, we're going to go straight into the episode without any sponsor tag, and there will not be a tip of the week this week. It's just going to be me and Jill. All right, so enjoy. You just want me to go for it? <laughs> this is going to be fun. I can tell already. Go for it, Jill. Well, Sheldon, my name is Jill James. I am a safety professional. I have been in this field for, I think it's 24 years. I don't think I've hit the quarter century mark yet. And uh, I work for a company called HSI. I am the chief safety officer there. I've been with the company for six years. And um, before that... Well, gosh, if you want to know before that, maybe you should ask me more questions. Ooh. That sounds more fun than me just rattling off the history, right? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm doing the math in my head here. I started safety in 94, and yeah. I think we were started safety in the same time. Yeah, we did then. 
That, yeah. that is when I um, finished my graduate degree. Oh, man. I, I was just, once you said 24 years, I was like, hold on. <laughs> I think that's me, too. <laughs> so. Sometimes I have to go, like, find my diploma, which is in a box somewhere, and look oh, at yeah. the year to make sure, like, okay, what year was that again? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what was your degrees? Yeah, so my undergrad is in community health education and a minor in women's studies. And um, my master's degree is in industrial safety. Wow, excellent. Um, and one of them was uh, a U of M Duluth. Yes, right. So my my um, graduate degree is from the University of Minnesota at Duluth campus. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, wasn't something I thought I would ever do. I was finishing my undergrad degree in community health education and I needed an internship. And I was looking at this long list of internships and it was like American Red Cross, American Heart, you know, um, community health kind of organizations. Yeah. And it was it was really a, a tough job market at the time. And anyone in community health um, really needed a nursing degree in order to get a job because they wanted people to serve dual functions. Yeah. And at the very bottom of the list, it said safety, <laughs> Department of Transportation. And I thought, whoa, nobody's yeah, going to want no that. Is, yeah. So, so boring. <laughs> I need to get this degree done. And, and who's going to want this? Yes. Yeah. You know, we had like a little tiny, t- tiny touch of safety as an undergrad. And I thought, well, I'm going to I'm gonna inquire about this. So I met with the safety director for a region uh-huh. in Minnesota for the DOT. And he told me just a little bit about safety. And it's like, yeah, internship is yours. And wow. so while, yeah, so while I was, they probably, he probably couldn't find very many people. Yeah, they either. <laughs> and um, the one and only was, candidate, it's yours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so while I did, while I was doing that internship, I really started to understand a little bit about workplace safety and what it was all about. And um, I, I was then connected to the greater safety network mm-hmm. um, with the Department of Transportation at the time. And there were all these safety directors that served all these regions. And I was, you know, taking part in their training and their meetings and learning more about it. And they kept saying, hey, kid, because I was. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, kid, you know, you should get your master's degree in safety like we did. A lot of us went to the University of Minnesota and got our master's degrees. And you should do it, too, because it's a way to get a job and you will get a job and you'll be able to pay off your student loan. So you should do that. Oh, yeah. And I thought, They're checking well, all the boxes for a young person's mind after they get out of school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I I thought, well, I like the safety stuff well enough based on this three-month internship. I'm, I'm going to go for it. And so I applied to grad school and, and got in. And, you know, my family kept asking me since I was the first person to go to college in our history. Wow. They kept saying, um, well, what kind of job can you get with this degree anyway? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I don't know. I suppose I could work for like OSHA. <laughs> and, and then, um, you know, I, I, I was finishing out my master's degree and I was doing an internship with the Department of Military Affairs in their environmental health and safety division. Oh, nice. At, uh, at a military installation in Minnesota. And I got a phone call from my mentor at the DOT. And he said, hey, kid, guess what? <laughs> I think <laughs> I hear hiring. a theme here. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, kid. OSHA is hiring. You should apply. And I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> and so I did. And um, yeah, I got a job as an investigator with OSHA. And um, my the person who would be my boss uh, named Paul. Paul was a very, very large Italian man mm-hmm. with the white, kind of the stereotype, even with the white hair oh, pushed nice. back and big glasses. And he was so kind to me but in that interview I was a you know as young 24 year old sitting across the table from all these guys from OSHA and you know they're leaning in and they're saying now how are you going to uh, you know flash a badge and tell owners of companies and CEOs that you're going to find them like do you think you can do it was their question yeah do you have the fortitude to do it yeah do I have the fortitude to do it like are you gonna are you gonna cry you're gonna run out the door you know what's gonna 
that happen? Do you, do you think you can handle it? And I, you know, I had to kind of pull on the history that I had at the time as a 24 year old. And I said, well, in my undergraduate degree, I spent many years um, doing safe sex education um, during the height of the AIDS uh, crisis and oh, teaching yeah. people, teaching people how to um, prevent sexually transmitted diseases and how to use condoms the right way. And I said, I guess if I can speak about safe sex in front of audiences, I can probably stand my ground with CEOs in companies. You're hired. All, all of those guys in that interview, I don't think anybody had ever said sexually transmitted disease or condoms in an interview before. And I guess that might have sealed the deal and I got the job. Yeah, and yeah. And I stayed with OSHA as an investigator for um, almost 12 years. Almost 12 years. And uh, this yeah. is uh, the state plan, right? So it's a Minnesota yes. state plan? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Minnesota has jurisdiction over OSHA in the state of Minnesota. And uh, does your jurisdiction go for public and private? Yes. Okay. So kind of so like uh, Kalosha. Yeah. And so the only place we couldn't go was a federal installation, like a prison or a post office, that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. Um, did you guys, uh, is there any maritime uh, in Minnesota? Oh, I guess all the lakes, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, so we did not have jurisdiction over maritime um, in, in Minnesota, and we do have the Great Lake, um, Lake Superior, of course, and so oh, yes. that would have applied there, but my jurisdiction did not did not spread there, no. Okay, because I noticed that with some state plans, they uh, they have the certain things that they say, all right, too much. <laughs> But you take over this thing and, and we'll just stay with our, our public and private. And then, of course, the hybrid states that just, you know, they're just stealing money from OSHA where, you know, give me 50 percent of the operating cost and I'll just mm. take care of the public sector. You take care of the yeah. private, pay me 50 yeah. percent and then I'll get the public. I got the so yeah, I should say was, that they're not stealing money. They're doing the work. But yeah, yeah, it was a it was a it was a great career. It was a great career to be able to experience and see so many places where human beings work and to feel like I was making a contribution. I had um, responsibilities for general industry and construction settings. Uh -huh. And I did my six months of training in the um, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. The offices are in St. Paul. Uh -huh. And um, then I was um, sent to what they call Greater Minnesota, which means rural Minnesota, uh -huh. to the, um, I had a 10-county responsibility along the North Dakota and um, Canadian borders. So nice. two counties wide. And they stuck me kind of in the middle, found a place to live, uh, had a home office. They gave me the worst car in the fleet <laughs> to use because they needed miles put on it. And there was a lot of miles to put on yeah. along the North Dakota and Canadian border. And, um, you know, that car left me sit two times. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that must have sucked. Was it winter too? Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> of course it was. Wow. That mm -hmm. is much. And uh, what was that call like when you had to call home base and say, help? Yeah. And so um, my 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 boss, Paul, I was telling you about earlier, he was in a different part of the state. And he just he um, asked one of my closest co-workers to come get me, like to come fetch me off the highway wow. where I was. And he was uh, Richard. My co-worker was probably a three hour one way drive <sighs> to get to me. Yeah, and so he came and got me. <laughs> oh, man. Hopefully yeah. it wasn't like uh, you ran out of gas or something like that. No, you know? the alternator went out. <laughs> it's alternator. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. No, it was not. It was not some goofy thing. The alternator died, and it died twice in that car. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And twice. Oh, my goodness. So that means it's probably some sort of uh, electrical where there yeah. is being uh, drained. Yeah. And so, hmm. Well, not bad. So for for uh, the purposes of, of my audience, they're going to be safety consultants. They're going to want to just like pick your brain for OSHA. And uh, before we get to that, um, have you ever heard a show of uh, accidental safety? Uh, there's a show out there. <laughs> Oh, well. Are you talking about my podcast? <laughs> yeah, so your podcast. <laughs> oh, so from what I'm hearing, uh, your story as far as the accidental safety was coming from the college and then truly picking, you know, something that you thought no one else would pick or you're just drawn to it. Is that, uh, is that your accidental safety story? 
Yeah, absolutely it is. You know, I, and and so that's the that's the shtick, right, of the podcast that I host is mm-hmm. titled The Accidental Safety Pro. And, you know, ask any safety professional, everybody listening right now, and you ask them how you got into safety. It was, it's very seldom. In fact, I've spoken with one person so far who knew they wanted to be a safety professional when they were a little kid. Wow. You know, like people ask you, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, how many of us actually said a safety professional? you know like zero with the exception of one woman whose mother teaches at the University of Wisconsin Whitewater in the safety program Uh, and thus she actually knew about the the profession like growing up as a kid she knew what it was yeah 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 Um, and so she did want to grow up to be a safety professional but she is the only person I know she must have been really (laughs) tough around the playground oh oh, Billy don't do that (laughs) you know that's how I was growing up somehow 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 that was somehow safety was well i know how safety was woven into my dna but it was yeah. woven into my life so it you know it makes sense that that i chose this profession oh uh are we at the liberty to find out how safety was woven into your life yeah sure so it, it's uh it's it's a it's a personal story i um when i grew up in a house with a parent who had a traumatic brain injury and so as a as a young person, my dad, this is prior to me being born and prior to my parents being married, my dad was in a farm accident. And we know that lots of people are in farm accidents, right? Mm-hmm. And so he took a flywheel to the forehead. Wow. Right? And he lived by the grace of the um, talent at the Mayo Clinic in mm. uh, Minnesota. And his um, his frontal bone of his head was was smashed in and it couldn't write and so this all happens before I'm born and it um, he was allergic to any kind of um, substitutes that they would use for the for the bone and it was shattered so they couldn't put the pieces back together like a puzzle and whatever materials they had at the time to try to um, replace the frontal bone he was allergic to and so um, he had this literal hole in the front of his head if you can imagine that was just covered by skin wow you could see his pulse as a kid we could see his pulse beating through this little like it was like a little it was like a drum so you knew when he was mad at you (laughs) yeah kind of taught like a drum right and so i grew up in a house where we were extremely cautious Mm. about anything that could hit our dad's head so you know when you're a kid and you have maybe the cereal boxes all kind of smooshed into some cabinet above the refrigerator or whatever and and you're gonna just like shut it and make sure you know like just get it shut it might pop open on the next person you did not do that in my house because it could hit my dad in the head Mm -mm. you know you um loaded the dishwasher so all the knives and the forks and everything were facing down in case you know if you had the dishwasher open and and he fell or there was a trip Uh, or something uh that he wouldn't fall into any um, impalement hazards. So I grew up understanding, I didn't have the word for it at yeah, that yeah, time, yeah. Of what an impalement hazard was. Um, but um, but I think I think that's kind of what um, got my head, so to speak, pun intended, I guess, um, <laughs> to be thinking about safety as a, as a little kid because it was literally part of my existence. Like, yeah. don't hurt dads. Don't head. hurt dads. <laughs> like we're you're on high hazard alert, looking through your house, the yeah. garage, everything you do to make sure he doesn't get hit. Wow! Now yeah. that is a story, Jill. <laughs> wow! From the accidental safety pro, right? Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Yeah. Wow! So that that whole thing, I could tell how that shaped your life, and then eventually, this is working its way to his daughter in OSHA. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so now you're probably uh, uh, getting in there, young 20s. Uh, these uh, older guys, I would assume, because at that time period in the early 90s, you might might have been one of the few that would have yeah. been a kosho. If you guys, uh, is that a term you guys like or is it a derogatory term, kosho? 
I don't know. Yeah, you know, that was a term that was used by the um, federal investigators more. Okay. Um, I mean, Koshos, it was, it was, I don't know, we didn't use it very much. It was more of investigator. Okay. Um, in Minnesota. Uh, but um, Kosho is the acronym that stands for Compliance, Compliance Health and Safety Health Officer. Officer. Yeah. to <laughs> 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 think of that. I know. Yeah. So you're right. I had um, my coworkers at the time were almost all male. There were a couple of women who were investigators, um, not many, which is kind of crazy to think in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. There were there were some, but there weren't many. My mentors um, were all men. Um, three guys who showed me the ropes, so to speak, and nice. they were all also former military, oh, um, which is also very common for people in the safety and health profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, at that time, so... My mentors, um, Richard, Dale, and Bob, uh, rest in peace. They're all deceased now. Um, They were uh, out of the Army, Navy. Oh, and Paul, too. He was from the Army, Navy, and Air Force. Richard was from the Air Force. And... um, you know, when Minnesota's OSHA program got started, it was started in 1973. And, um, you know, OSHA was passed in 1970, the act. And in 73, Minnesota said, we're going to, you know, we're going to do it our own way. And the governor at the time in my state um, was looking for people to be investigators. And so my my coworker and mentor, Dale, um, formerly of the Navy, was working for the United Auto Workers at the time as a, as a union steward. And he was doing things with safety. And so um, the governor tapped him and said, hey, we've got this new this new unit in the state of Minnesota. Will you come be an investigator? Wow. And so that's how many of them were chosen. And so they all had their own unique story like that. Yeah. And so they came with this deep, deep knowledge and, um, you know, took me under their wing and, uh, you know, taught me. I would do two-week rotations with them while I was in training. They'd take me out and do inspections and give me pieces of the work to do together. And I got to see how they did what they did and decide what I'm going to keep of how they did their work and mm-hmm. um, what I was going to develop on my own. And you know, huh. I was really fortunate to work to work with them and under them, um, and they were just really great, great mentors. And each taught me very different skill sets and very different things to focus on. And wow. They're really fun and kind. That's great. And to me, what I'm thinking is, um, you probably learned systems very early in your career, only because, and I'm just you know throwing this out there because my mind kind of thinks, oh wow, military people teaching someone uh, they're probably going to be really good and really keen on systems and then being the front runners of a program they had long nights uh, hard fought battles learning give and take with even all the people they're regulating so that information being transferred to the the next generation especially since at that time I, I would imagine uh, if they started in the 70s or coming in in the 90s you know they had a, a pretty good you know, feel for this thing. So, uh, when you became a compliance investigator uh, or inspector, I should say, right? Uh, when you were picking up these systems, for you, was it something that was easy to follow, or was it something that you uh, you really was was like you, you didn't get it until there was a, a aha moment? No, I you know I had enough exposure you know with the three of them and rotating around enough I was able to start thinking okay yeah I could do that I like the way they do that and then when sometimes I was also in the field in training with other investigators from our St. Paul office and uh, once in a while I'd be like yeah no I'm not going to do it that way mm-hmm. you know like that wouldn't feel natural for me or I can see the employer's eyes glazing over right now or I can sense that they're scared. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. But like um, Richard, who was the most systematic of all of my mentors, he had, you know, employers would say to him, 
well, what are you going to look at? Where are you going to start? How are you going to do this today? And his answer was always, we're going to start at the front doorknob and work our way in. <laughs> and, and That's great. Actually, uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, was, he was very, very thorough. And so he kind of taught me some patterning. You know, when you walk into like, let's say a factory mm-hmm. or you walk on, step onto a construction site and your eyes are just automatically filled with all of these things to look at. And you're like, oh, I see an overhead gantry crane here and I see a conveyor belt here and I see a paint booth over there and I see some welders over there. And oh my gosh, I see a, you know, a press break over there. And, um, you know, like, oh, where do I start? Yeah. You know, or, or maybe something you've never, ever, ever seen in your life before, like, a, you know, a gigantic thing called a carding machine that cards wool and it's as large as your house and it's oh. in like some kind of box and you're like whoa where do I start <laughs> what you know is this? and so <laughs> Richard taught me you know like process you know like do the perimeter or go up and down aisles or look look left as you're going and then come back up and look right the next time and so you could break it down in your head as to how to approach looking for hazards like a grid yeah, right. I, so I did that every single time. I just have to grit it out, um, you know, because I first wanted to kind of see as much as I could see with my eyes first to go, okay, is there somewhere I need to go like right now? Is there something that's so blatant I have to go to? Or I would ask the company to give me a tour that would um, follow a process, a mm-hmm. process flow, especially if I was in a factory, like let's start at the beginning of the process and we're going to take it that way yeah. or start at the raw material and we take it that way. Um, And so, you know, that has been my approach and it's always been my approach whenever I do a safety audit. Um, Mm -hmm. And I learned that from from Richard. And um, Dale, he's the one who came out of the UAW. He was all about people. He was all about setting people at ease. soft skills. Yeah, he was was really about that. And... um, you know, kind of how do we how do we kind of de-escalate when we get there? How do we make these people not so scared? Because you walk in, you ask for the top official, you show a badge, you tell them you're there for an inspection, and mm-hmm. people are like, oh. they either get really really scared or they get really really mad. Yeah. Um, if it's a safety professional that you're dealing with most of the time they're like oh thank god thanks for coming and, and they'd whisper something like could you check this for me <laughs> you know why are you here and so um you know he really he really taught me how to how to do some of that you know and like we're watching for people's um physical cues you know when you see someone's neck starting to get red uh-huh. and you know i would you know really try to work with my body language and work really hard at explaining the reason why everybody wanted to know the reason why am i being inspected and I made it my absolute promise um, in all the years that I did that, that I would never say because you came up on a list. Yeah. Because that, I mean, truthfully, that is the reason they yeah. came up on a list. But what list? How did I get on the list? What yeah. do these numbers mean? And so um, OSHA every year decides who they will target for inspection. And in Minnesota, they would always give out the new list in March and some years it was based on experience modification rates Uh and if you had over a particular number you'd be put on a list some years it was based on um, BLS data um, related to type of industry Mm-hmm. And, you know, the industries that were seeing the greatest injuries, you'd be put on a list. And if that's from the dark rates, sector, uh, yeah. meaning the days away restricted transfer rates. If you're higher over a certain percentage, yeah. then you're on yeah. that list. Yeah. And so some years it was we're going to focus on public sector employers and we're going to take every 10th one on the list. Hmm. You know, something like that. And so every year there was a different decision made um, within the agency as to which employers would be um targeted for inspection, but it was always based on data that meant something. It wasn't randomized. Yeah. It um, And so I, I would spend time every year 
um, when the list would come out and ask, okay, what is it this year? How did you get to this? So that when those employers, when I met them and they go, how did I get on a list? How did, why are you here? You say you have probable cause. What does that mean? And so part of my de-escalation technique was to explain that. Uh-huh. And say, this is, this is where this came from. This is why I'm here. Uh, you know, unless of course it was a complaint, then that was obvious probable yeah. cause, or if it was a death, um, you know, um, or a serious injury. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. Those are those are more obvious reasons for pro- probable cause. But I was really careful to do that as um, a way to respect the employer and explain, you know, like, this is why I'm here today. It's not because I drove by and I looked at a sign I didn't like on your building or, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. And that kind of- for my audience, a lot of them, they gather some really good information there because especially if you say one of your services is a mock OSHA audit, you yeah. know, just kind of figuring out uh, just a nice way to uh, to just make a grid, if you will, um, macro view versus micro view, and then working your way through the process, talking to people and doing as if you were one of the inspectors. Uh, so that was a great tip for everybody there who, who has that as, as one of their services, uh, just someone that's been there before, you know, showing how you do it, and then soft skills, man, goodness. There's so many soft skills that people don't have that you need to, if you're going to get someone to comply in anything. And of course, I start thinking compliance first before culture. And I know people really want safety culture, but sometimes they're not even hitting the basics of compliance. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah. so that's great. Yeah. Uh, I had a question in everything that you mm-hmm. said there. Uh, I'm very familiar with federal OSHA. I'm not as familiar uh, with any of the state plans except for TOSHA or Cal OSHA and mm-hmm. TOSHA being Tennessee OSHA. Uh, but uh, for me, when I'm dealing with, uh, if I'm doing an informal conference or, or something similar to that, I always refer to the field operation manual. And uh, for me, I have to go through that thing repeatedly over and over again to get real familiar with the field operation manual, which is, I think, currently FOM 164. And um, <laughs> that that field operation manual for the feds on their end is truly saying if you're doing an inspection, you got to follow these steps. If you're going to say it's a um, it's a serious violation, does it meet this criteria? And then you have even that has its own little breakdown. Uh, depending on um, on the hazard itself and its rating, uh, on the state plan, are you kind of using that as well, or you have an additional document that goes with that? Yeah, and so remembering that um, the state OSHA plans have to be as good or better than the federal government. That's part of what the agreement is when a state enters, you know, into agreement with federal OSHA to say we want jurisdiction mm-hmm. over the feds. Then they have to agree to be as good or better than, and so that translates to all of those kind of documents as well. And so we had our own version of the same thing. Okay. And so when um, when it came to like figuring out what uh, what the penalty would be for a violation I had a grid and then the grid um, I had a manual and a grid to follow and every single time I had to answer the same questions and so let's say it's you know the uh the adjustable guard on the band saw was missing, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I would have to answer these same questions. Any hazard, same questions. Huh. Like, um, how long has the hazard existed? And then you'd give it a number rating. So you'd be asking these questions when you did your inspection. And I had to take notes on all of that as I was walking around. How many employees are exposed to this hazard? How long has the hazard existed? I think maybe I just said that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was a, a bunch of other mitigating questions that aren't coming to the top of my head right now, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was all about severity and probability. Yep. And so I had this grid with severity and probability. I'd get a I'd get a number. After I had my number, after I answered all of the questions each time, then I would go to another part of my manual and I would look up that exact regulation, you know, whatever it was for that particular thing and that would tell me what um, uh, letter grade I had to give that particular violation that hazard Hmm. on an A to F scale A meaning the least serious thing that could occur to an employee F meaning most serious this is a fatality 
probability. And so I had my probability number, maybe it was a four, maybe it was a five, maybe it was a seven, whatever. And then I had my my um, lettered grade and then whatever lined up in the box is what the base penalty would be. Okay. So whether that was $500, $1,000, $2,000, you know, like that. And then I was able to give discounts from there mm-hmm. based on uh, some criteria. So it, every investigation involved looking at people's safety programs, their written safety programs, and then their training records as well. And then they go towards and, the good faith then? Yeah, good good faith and then history. I'd have to look up their history to see if they'd ever had the same citations, mm-hmm. same or similar in the past, whether or not I could give them a, um, a history credit. Mm-hmm. And so then I'd give a, you know, a discount from there, almost like a sale. Right? Yeah, that's right. Sale. So, yeah, and so you do that calculation for each individual thing that you cited. Okay. Um, every single time. Yeah, and so for consultants, you know, if you're, if you're helping an employer who's had an investigation you know one thing you have the right to ask if the employer is like I don't even know why the heck I got inspected you know you have a right to ask and have them ask you know what was the probable cause used for this inspection and if they say hey you landed on a list say you know tell me more about the list Uh you know what is that list and then tell me about how did you arrive at this rating for this particular penalty you know and it's that's okay that's okay to ask it's not like it's a defensive thing just like explain the science behind it mm-hmm. and someone can do that for you or for your client that you're working with and uh, usually that conversation will be in the informal conference yeah as you're going over this thing and you're trying to figure out all right uh, was this uh, based on a local emphasis program a national emphasis program is this because of my NAICS code or mm-hmm. is this something mm-hmm. that my, my experience modification right? my, yeah, my EMOD yeah. so what what is this thing that has caused me to to do this and then when you get that answer uh, then that's going to help you as the consultant figure out okay well uh, yeah chances are there could be you know a follow up (laughs) from this or maybe if it was a referral then you know you got to make sure you get all those things uh, worked out too Uh, but I, I would imagine that somewhere along the way uh, you you started getting like a like a good system down and you would yeah, well, first before the system, it's just, I'm curious here. I just had a little th- something go through my mind. I don't want to forget it, so I better say it now so I don't forget it. Uh, were you affected by when Dr. Michaels on Federal OSHA went to the enforcement units? Um, so basically, instead of uh, you know shooting a fish out of a barrel with a construction site and someone, all their activity is going for those really low hazard, uh, I should say high hazard, uh, high frequency things on one area and then trying to get all of their activity in one of those really small sites and then all of a sudden they're racking up and racking up and racking up all these enforcement and then someone else who's on a process safety management could be at the one facility for four days, five days a week and now they don't have the same activity as the other person who is truly, uh, you know, racking up everything, looking really good, getting promotions. And uh, then the enforcement unit come out and then we're like, hold on, these are weighted at 0.9. And now this process safety management is rated at, uh, I forgot what, uh, I think it was an eight or something for process safety management. And that kind of equalized the field between, you know, inspectors. Uh, was that an effect for you in any way? Yeah, so you're talking about how investigators are um, rated or judged in their performance, essentially, if I'm yeah. getting it right, Sheldon, right? Yes. Yeah, it's right. And so um, I can't remember who was um, the head of OSHA on the federal level when I left. I know Dr. Michaels. I know of him. I don't think I... He, I don't think that he was the head when I was there. Um, could be wrong, but that because I was working with a state plan, um, he did not have influence over that, but my governor did, if that makes sense. Uh, okay. And so when I was just about um, ready to hang up my OSHA credentials and move on, um, that actually was one of the reasons why, was how investigators were being were being judged. And so a, a different governor came in and they pick a different set of commissioners as they, as they often, but not always do. Uh-huh. And that really um, changes the dynamic of particularly enforcement agencies, whether it's, you know, like 
Department of Natural Resources or the um, state equivalent of the EPA, um, that kind of thing. You know, they governors uh, really do make impacts. Oh yeah. And so at that time, it was do more inspections. Get in and get out. We want you to get in really fast. We want you to get out really fast. We want you to find something. But get out and get your report done really fast. And, you know, I had been trained by Richard Dale and Bob. That's not how we did the work. We did a thorough job. And we found all the hazards we could find because the mission was to protect people, right? Yeah. And and so um, this new way under that particular governor just rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, I'm here to do good work. I'm not here to do quick and dirty work and get out. Yeah, and I'm going to spend as much time as I need to doing these investigations um, to serve uh, the common good for people. And uh, eventually that's why I left. So similar to what you're talking about, um, yeah, that happened in my career. Okay, well, I got curious to thinking about that, and then I was like, well, for me, I I have a, another business called Shelbro Safety, and me and my business partner, he's ex-OSHA, as I told you before when we were talking, and he yeah. retired from the Tampa office as the assistant area director, but he had worked all the way up in director and, and other areas throughout OSHA, and uh, he's been telling me, uh, I remember when the enforcement units was really a big thing, and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's people that just they do all activities just to make themselves look really big, and mm-hmm. therefore they get the promotions, they get uh, some sort of recognition because of yeah. all the activity they do. And then when those enforcement units kicked in, it was just like wah wah wah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, well, you know, I wanted to make a difference. Yeah, you know, I really wanted to make a. I wanted to make a difference for um for people, and. You know, I have lots of stories in the ways that I did. And I have lots of employers who still follow my career, who Excellent. still call me and ask for help that I investigated. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I think that's I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. You were you were talking about informal conference. And so um, as an investigator, you know, after citations are issued, OSHA citations are issued, the employer always has the right to contest the citations. And nearly every single time in when I was doing my closing conference, which means the investigation is done and I'm explaining to them what I'm citing specifically, which regulations and why, I would encourage them to contest, which Mm -hmm. sounds like, what? Yeah. Uh, Unless the employer had been really awful to me. I would, which happened, not often, but it would happen. You know, someone's threatening you with their Dobermans on the site or, you know, trying to bribe you with drinks or whatever. (laughs) I mean, that happened too. It didn't happen very often, but it happened. But, um, but I would encourage people to contest and they'd be like, what? Aren't I going to get in trouble if I contest? I said, no, it's your right to do that as an employer. Yeah. You have that right and you should exercise that right and make sure you do it before your time runs out because there's a time clock that yeah, starts. 15 working days. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you get those citations in the mail and please contest and then be like, but I'm not disagreeing with anything you found. What am I going to say? And so for your consultants, encourage your employers to contest. It doesn't mean that you're not agreeing with what was found. Maybe sometimes you disagree and that's perfectly fine too. But um, I said, you know, it's a way for you to get penalties reduced. You know, go into an informal contest and say, you know what? I fixed everything. Here's how much it cost. Here's pictures. Here's how I did it. Here's processes we changed. Here's we got how we got employees involved. And rather than giving you, government, this money, I would like to take you know, this amount of money and invest it in safety in this way. I said, come up with an idea, come up with a plan, something that you want to do or bring invoicing along of how you fixed what you did and how much it cost and start there as a negotiating point and see what you can do, see where you can go. And people did that and it always worked. People didn't get turned down and at least their monetary um, penalty got reduced. Well, a lot of people now, they're just going straight to that uh, expedited settlement agreement. As soon as they see that, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do an informal conference. I just got a percentage off. So let's do this expedited settlement agreement. And and then they usually, you know, if it's if it's a good figure, I remember I, I had a, um, 
a past client of mine get one of those and they have me um, write them up a little a little um, it was more of a summary of if they should take it or not and I gave them my opinion on uh, should we go ahead and do an informal conference and I had to include my price and all that stuff and then the other side is expedited settlement agreement and they were repeat offender and the prices would have been higher and I'm like take it <laughs> Just yeah, do the math. I mean, sometimes do the math. If it's if it's small to begin with, and you think you may get a twenty to thirty percent reduction, uh, versus taking a day off of work and driving to an office and spending you know time on the road, and you may end up with the same thing. Yeah, that's definitely definitely wise wise consideration. Yeah, and I just said you know at this at this rate and what they're having and what you you know are doing, you know, sure you want to tell them that you have abated this thing, but in this the the dollar figure they're offing with this uh, agreement uh, I would go I would go ahead the agreement you know mm-hmm. so um, I've, I've done that uh, for for another topic that hopefully you have enough time for I got my fingers crossed because I know it's a long day for you too and, and I'm just gonna go ahead and ask and then I'll ask forgiveness okay. later <laughs> okay uh, if you're still like plugged in with uh, with OSHA and uh, can explain how this COVID-19 thing is affecting them because you know, we see it in many different ways, but now I know that there's so many uh, regulators that are going to, they're just getting beaten up uh, about uh, what are they doing with COVID-19 and why hasn't there been more citations? And I know you may not be able to speak on the federal side, but uh, but maybe, you know, now that you're you're on the other end and people all over the globe <laughs> comes to talk yeah. to you. But, uh, you know, in, in this situation with COVID-19, uh, let's ask you two distinct questions. First, uh, how do you feel as an inspector this has been uh, on a personal level affecting these inspectors as they're seeing their hands tied in some ways as things they can't do? And then secondly, you've got your magic Sheldon wand I just gave you. And what would you do when you wave that magic wand to say uh, we could uh, fix this scenario uh, in the proper way if you were, you know, Mrs. Magic Wand Holder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, first, let's take the magic wand. Ooh, okay. So, um, you know, <laughs> ma- magic wand is that um, state of California has had a law on the books for 10 years Yeah. on um, dealing with airborne hazards such as viruses. Yeah, for the zoo animals. Yeah. And it has been sitting at the feet of federal OSHA for some time without action. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, uh, California also has not been enforcing it. And so, you know, is there... Is there a way that we could have protected workers better with things that were already in place, tried, true, true and tested and already on the books? Yeah. Yes. And so, act, you know, magic wand thing number one <laughs> would have been that the law of the land in California would have spread across the entire United States to be able to be used and utilized by safety and health professionals like everybody's li- like everybody who is listening. Um, you know, the second, of course, would have been to um, have actually been able to use the pandemic response plan that had been put together by prior um, no. presidential administration and um, <laughs> actually used yes. and actually used. Um, that would have been a lovely guidebook for all safety and health professionals, as well as, you know, employers in general and just, you know, so many agencies to be able to use so magic wand um having having access and ability and force and use things um such as those would have would have been good good all right now let's go back yeah. to the first one uh, the the empathy yeah. side of osha so in, yeah right so yes have i been thinking about my osha counterparts oh my gosh yes and of course every safety and health professional right now i mean what an incredibly challenging time you know a novel a novel hazard we're, we're used to dealing with hazards and in fact we've you know we've had respiratory type hazards before that we deal with and protect for as well but yeah. this is novel this is new this is we don't have a handbook for it uh, well of course you know if we were able to at least use something that california came up with that could help many people yes um 
but which by the way doesn't mean anyone can't you you can still use their guide your their guidance it's just it doesn't have teeth right now um and and so when you think about osha and osha enforcement um you know on the federal level um i, I looked at the history or i'm not the history i've looked at the press releases of what they have released by way of inspections and i think it was six cases that i saw that they have press releases for on their website right now yeah the smithfield um, uh, well i think there were two yeah one two three four five five that i'm looking at right now some in healthcare and some in meatpacking yeah where there were citations that were issued um some were general general duty for employers not protecting employees from a from a known hazard i.e the virus mm-hmm. and then others were very specific to personal protective equipment or respirators respirator fit testing and training that kind of thing huh. um so that's not a lot. No, not at all. Right? Yeah, that's not a lot. And are there more that are in play that haven't been finalized? Maybe, probably. Yeah. I don't know. You know, in terms of state plans, you know, which about half the states have a state OSHA plan, mm-hmm. um, you know, interesting to know how they're all doing it in different states and what their governors are allowing for and not allowing for. I can... I can speak and know what's happening in my state, in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, I know that um, our investigators here are doing investigations. And it's interesting, my my um, my governor was explaining along with their com- his commissioners last week, uh, two weeks ago, about targeted inspections that were taking place with employers across the state of Minnesota. That, and they were um, agencies that were working together. Uh-huh. And this is really interesting. So it was Department of Labor, which is where OSHA is in Minnesota. It was Department of Agriculture. It was um, the Department of Health. And I think there was one other agency and they were working together in partnership doing investigations over the course of a couple of weekends after they received um, thousands of complaints. And so they were trying to decide how to tackle that and they did it together. Now, is that unusual for agencies to do investigations at the same time together? Yes, it is. It's not unusual for an agency to make a referral to another agency. You know, like I may have made a referral to um, pollution control agency or I may have made a referral to um, someone in, uh, you know, with, with, with fire. But it was very unusual that I would ever have, you know, done a joint inspection you know, with other agencies at the same time. But they're doing that right now in Minnesota. And so it would be interesting to find out what other states are doing if they're if they're providing services and help to employers, or if they're doing consultative work, if they're doing um, enforcement activity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know about the other the other OSHA. The only state Virginia. Plans, the Virginia state is the only one that I've, I've really heard about. Virginia is now have a an actual law on the books. That uh, that they are now enforcing uh, for Virginia, yeah, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that state plan, uh, the Commonwealth state plan, yes, the Commonwealth. <laughs> uh, they they do have uh, a plan that they they're uh, going and it's effective right now too. Uh, so truly, they they said that's it. <laughs> We're not waiting yeah. for the Fed. <laughs> we are going to do this, yeah. and they're going to be more stringent. And they started that, and then. Um, I don't recall. I believe there was another one that is just starting. And I, I really, the name just escaped me which state, but, uh, oh man, I think it was a northern state, but but I know for Virginia for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so to to any fellow OSHA investigators out there um, who might might be listening or found this podcast somewhere, mm-hmm. um, honor the struggle. I really honor the struggle. And particularly those who um, are, are being hampered because we know that everybody wants to do their best work and everyone wants to be um, helpful to people um, and employers and employees right now as well. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks to everybody who's 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 working their hearts out. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. <laughs>